Welcome to Delicious of History, a podcast about interesting people you probably didn't learn about in school. My name is Fega, and I am the sort of tech challenge historian. Um, <laughs> since we just uh, peeked behind the pod, we just spent like half an hour trying to get my internet to work. It's it's great. <laughs> and I am Isa. I am a recovering from COVID commentator. <laughs> <laughs> and we have a guest with us, um, Rebecca Bratsby's. Is that how you say your name? I should have checked this before we were recording. Yes, it is. Wonderful. Excellent. Wonderful. So Rebecca teaches at CUNY uh, School of Law. She is a scholar of environmental justice, human rights, and environmental law. Her book, Naming Gotham, won the Association of Public Historians of New York 2023 Award for Excellence in Local History. The Environmental Justice Chronicles, her graphic novel series, won EPA's 2023 Clean Air Excellence Award in 2021. ABA Sear, I don't, I don't know the organizations. <laughs> I'm saying the wrong. Uh, honored her work with its, uh, with its commitment to diversity and justice award. The Center for International Sustainability Law named her its 2022 International Human Rights Lawyer. So, welcome. Thank you. I'm delighted to be here with you. Excited to have you. So you wrote a book called Naming Gotham, which I had a really fun time reading. I should give the whole title. Naming Gotham, Naming Gotham, the villains, rogues, and heroes behind New York's place names. So how are you inspired to like look into who roads were named after? Well, to be honest, it started in a traffic jam. Um, my parents live in Pennsylvania, and the best way to get from where I live in Queens to where they live involves unfortunately, the Major Deegan Expressway. And um, anybody who's ever t driven on the Major Deegan Expressway, which for those of you not in New York is the road that goes past Yankee Stadium and connects to the George Washington Bridge. Well, it's usually a parking lot. So driving, it, you just have to put it in air quotes because it really means sitting in traffic. And if you're me, it means you're sitting in traffic cursing. And so I would just direct my anger at Major Deegan and say, I hate this guy. Who was he? And the funny thing is nobody knew who he was. Huh. Right? Everybody takes the Major Deegan, but no one has a clue who the guy was. So finally, my family got sick of listening to me rant. And they said, well, why don't you find out? So I did. And it turned out he was way less impressive than you might think, given that he has this <laughs> road named after him that is uh, a pretty significant road in New York. And that sort of got me started. Yeah, I sort of I was sort of charmed by him as I wrote my notes. Um, when I read the chapter initially, I was like the same sort of thing. I'm like, OK, this guy was like just a local politician guy. Um, when I sat down and actually started writing the notes, um, I was like, actually, he's like kind of existing in an interesting historical moment in New York. See, I, if I'm going through the Bronx, I'm probably going to or from Boston. So I'm usually cursing Robert Moses on the Cross Bronx Expressway. 
Well, you can curse him on the major deacon yeah. as well. Yeah, you can curse him everywhere. You can curse him that anywhere is true. you want, anywhere you want, all the time. Yeah, <laughs> I curse him on. I was cursing him. I just went on a, a road trip with Issa's partner, um, so we're old friends, and mm-hmm. uh, we were on the uh, Pennsylvania Turnpike, which is now like forty dollars to get across the state of Pennsylvania or something like that. Um, and so I was blaming Robert Moses because I figure, like by extension, you know, he was the one who was like, maybe we could just- as well. I know, just he's he's just a good target. And <laughs> he's very handy though, because he makes our person in Philly, Edmund Bacon, look really good by comparison. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so Major Deegan, who was this guy? So let's see, that we already answered that question, which is what does Major Deegan have named after him? A parking lot masquerading as a road. So Deegan, who has a first and a middle name, uh, William Francis Deegan was born December 28th, 1882 to Irish immigrant parents. He studied architecture at the Cooper Institute and was successful in the private sector. Married Violet Secourt and had a son who had the same name as him, which I will always find a little bit odd. But she, this is, I loved this. His, well, I mean, I didn't, but his wife ran off with Deegan's like BFF, Albert Crouch. Yeah, who was another architect. They the the interesting thing is that all of this information I got from the newspapers because the newspapers at the time were much more like People Magazine is today and or was I guess I, I I don't even know if it exists anymore but it was very gossipy and so they ran off together and first they went to New Orleans and they pretended to be brother and sister and then they went out to California where. The police who had been dispatched from New York by train to California to catch him and bring him back to stand trial for desertion of his family because he he had a wife with a couple of kids and um, the two couples had a very messy joint divorce that was sort of big news in the newspapers. Yeah, I had this image when he when it was written in the book. It's written as messy joint divorce as well, and I had this image of like, you know, at the end of Pride and Prejudice, they have of the the, the old Pride and Prejudice <laughs> from the eighties. They have like the yeah the combo wedding. Like that was the image that came to my head, except divorce proceedings. Except divorce, <laughs> it was one proceeding. Really, for both couples. I wasn't wrong. Yeah, <laughs> like it really. Yeah, exactly. Except there were many fewer flowers, and Colin Firth wasn't there. Yeah, which is unfortunate. Colin Firth, I think, would have been. <laughs> is he's a good addition to any um, sort of party? I'm sure. That is true. Yeah. So I just found I found that just like whoa, especially like they really like went after this guy, especially back in those days. It was like, harder to find people. Uh, so he served in World War I in the Army Corps of Engineers under General George Gothels. And that's where he gets major, gets the title major, which he used for the rest of his life. But he never actually saw any active service. Right. He was in the Army Corps of Engineers. He spent the war building fortifications in New York, which, you know, like, yeah, it's important. It's useful work. He probably did it pretty well. But it's hardly the stuff of legend. No. And he did use the, the he did use the title major for the rest of his life. And in fact, if you're in the Bronx and you're getting onto the Major Deegan Expressway, the sign the signs say Madge Deegan, M-A-J. They don't even say major. And I've actually spoken to a couple people who grew up in the Bronx who didn't realize that it was Major Deegan as opposed to Madge Deegan. 
I've also run into people who had no idea that it was a person. Well, that that is common. Um, I feel like every time I learn something about a Philadelphia person from the past who has something named after them, I'm unhappy with what I find. Well, that's true, too. Yeah, but this guy is a little different. Um, so they actually they call it the Madge G- Vegan in the Bronx? Well, that's what the sign says. And so if you're a kid and you sure. see the sign says Madge Deegan, you think that's the name of the road. Okay. I mean, it makes sense. Here's where his, his life starts to get a little more interesting after the war. I mean, not that that divorce was actually very interesting, but <laughs> um, he was part of the formation of the American Legion, which is another one of those things that I was like, isn't that the thing where those where like old guys sit in library basements and like hang out and it's like way more than that it is now but it it certainly was at the end of world war one that was a massive mobilization of people of men uh young men boys right sending them off to be part of the american expeditionary force and when they came back i mean world war one was you know brutal and i mean war is brutal and horrible but world war one was you know people were they were fighting each other in person up close and people came back horribly wounded and horribly disfigured and they came back into an economic crisis. So they came back to a lack of jobs and a lack of infrastructure to deal with the wounds that they had. And so Major Deegan was really instrumental in forming the American Legion. And it was a very important organization at the time. And one of the things that he was really involved in is the the bonus army protest because the the army the government promised all the people who've been part of the american expeditionary force bonuses at, at, for their service overseas and then sort of delayed paying them for a really long time and there were camps in washington there was a march on washington by veterans demanding their bonuses and they camped out on the mall and deegan was actually a really very powerful and loud voice on behalf of veterans. So I I sort of have a soft spot for him too, even though he is in many ways just sort of a bureaucrat white guy who had powerful friends and that's why he has a road named after him. Yeah, I mean, it's so, the bonus thing is so interesting because I feel like this happens after every American war. Like the, there's a, there's a building in Washington DC that um, I think it's like an architecture museum now. I'm trying to remember what it, is now i've only been in it once but it used to be where they would have all of the like the the files on who had served and what they were owed and all this stuff and Mm -hmm. they actually like have this um relief along the top of the building of the protests that happened after the civil war when the Mm -hmm. union veterans were like excuse me (laughs) you right you owe us money It's kind of funny that happened after World War I. I. And the other thing with World War I was people were surviving the war in ways that they never had previously. Because back, like, in the Civil War, you know, technology had gotten a lot better. You know, you had anesthesia, assuming they hadn't run out by the time you were getting your limb lopped off. But um, you still had a pretty good chance of getting, like, gangrene and things like that. So people still yeah. really weren't surviving this. Um, but we had figured out germ theory by the time we get to World War One. So they know, like, you know, don't, like, stick your hands in one guy and then immediately stick your hands in the next guy and stuff yes. like that. And maybe wash your hands before you put it in anybody. Right, yeah. <laughs> just It's it just they, they, they just had a little bit more figured out. 
And so suddenly you had all these disabled veterans coming home who never would have survived yeah. before. And we like America, I'm sure not just America, but I just know about America. America was like wildly ill-equipped yeah. uh, to help them. It like became like a really common thing, as I understand it, in a lot of big cities, I'm sure New York included, where dis- like people would see disabled veterans just on the street corners all the time. Unfortunately, in a way that we still see today in a lot of places as well, just for very different sorts of ailments. Well, I guess not really, but so, yeah, so he was working with the American Legion. He lobbied President Harding for new veterans hospitals around New York. He when he was running for a national position, he proposed firing all married women with living husbands in favor of hiring widows of veterans, which was interesting because I feel like, you know, I started that sentence and I was like, sir. I was rooting for you. And they finished and I was like, okay, uh, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, You know, I always wondered whether that had anything to do with his divorce as well. Like maybe he wanted the women out of the workplace where they wouldn't meet other men. Um, Wild speculation on my part. There's nothing in the historical record to suggest that. But it was just a striking platform to have and not the most compelling campaign platform um, it did not serve him well he lost the a chairmanship of the american legion in a really ugly platform fight actually going in they he was the shoe in everybody thought he was going to win and then somebody from the um the veterans administration actually came to lobby against him because they were really mad at him for the way that he had uh, attacked them over health care for veterans mm. And so somebody from Texas wound up winning instead of Deegan, and it he was pretty bitter about it. I mean, I imagine. It sounds like it was something he was really passionate about. Yeah. Actually, can I add something yes, there please. that's not in the book that I think is important to add to that? And that is that he was also a passionate advocate for Black returning soldiers. Oh. I mean, there weren't a tremendous number of them, but he was really encouraging them to join the American Legion as well. Now, they had a segregated American Legion post because it was when it was and he was a person of his time. But I, I do think that's important. And he gave speeches about how we all serve together. This is our country and we have all proved our love for it. So I, I thought that was a really interesting aspect of his character. And it actually showed through again later on as tenement commissioner where he similarly was act- was advocating for both black and white tenants. And I, I assume we'll get there, but I just wanted to throw that out. Yeah, there. no, I think that's really um, important. And also it just shows, uh, working as a tour guide, I hear the like, you know, this person, like about George Washington or um, people like that. It's like, oh, well, he was a man of his time. And there's mm-hmm. truth to that. However, you've got like this guy, Major Deegan, who like, not perfect, obviously, but certainly saw that there was a disparity there and was doing what he could to close it. That's such an important point. Um, And that's one of the things I try to make a lot of places in the book, because, you know, we're all grappling in this country with the legacy of the fact that people were stolen and enslaved Mm -hmm. and brought here. And so often what we're told is, well, you can't judge people by today's standards. But when you look at the times themselves, when you look at people like, uh, Kosciuszko. Mm-hmm. There's a bridge here in New York named after Kosciuszko. And in Philadelphia, of course, is the Kosciuszko House. We love him. Which I love. <laughs> we have like uh, I love have him. Yeah, multiple but... statues. It's great. <laughs> yeah. 
that all over the country, there are multiple statues to this guy who was a passionate anti-slavery advocate during the Revolutionary War. It's not like there weren't people who said, whoa, this is wrong, this is right. horrible, this is horrific at the time. Uh, same thing, you know, if you look at um, Peter Cooper, another guy there's a lot of stuff named after here in New York, or um, William Cullen Bryant. Another, both of whom are in the book, people that they're named things after in New York, right? Passionate advocates for ending slavery because it was morally abhorrent. And you know, it's important to make sure that that's part of the story too. It's not just us looking back saying, oh, shouldn't have done that. It was people at the time saying, this is wrong. Yeah, I agree. And I think it's just, I always say like, you can hold more than one, narrative about a person at one time what a concept i know right yeah. <laughs> um you can you know say hey this is great that george washington uh stepped down after his second term and didn't make himself yes. a king um also he enslaved people <laughs> that was really terrible um and i think that's and took their teeth yeah yeah probably <laughs> that's a whole thing <laughs> Okay, fair enough. <laughs> uh, unclear, but also wouldn't be surprising. Um, yeah. He didn't have wooden teeth. We know this. You can actually go see his teeth in Mount Vernon. I don't want to. I did like seeing his tent at the museum in Philadelphia. I thought that was very cool. I weirdly have not have seen... Have you been to the... I, I've been to the museum. I haven't seen the tent because I was uh, short on time. It's surprisingly fascinating. Huh. Really? I'll have to go back there. The museum yeah. is really good. Yeah, what did you find fascinating about it? Just this material object, right? This this tent, and it's set up as a tent, and like the light, you know, it's it's in the dark to protect it, and then the light comes up after they you you go and you listen to this audio explanation of both how he used the tent and who he met with there, and then how the museum got it, and then the light comes up, and you see this physical object that you've just been hearing about, and it. It really is really interesting, I thought. I mean, it really, I, I was sort of skeptical. I'm like, oh, we're going to go see the tent, really? But when you see it in that context with that story around it, it, it is a connection to the history of the war that I think is hard to get otherwise because there's not a lot of material objects that you can see and imagine yourself in. And it doesn't look that different from the tents that we might use if we went camping now. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, that's one thing I really like about that particular museum is how much yeah. of the material they also let you touch. Like, obviously, you can't touch the yeah. tent, but um, oh, they they actually yeah. you can dress up. Yeah, and they they've got all these things you can smell. Um, like they have like boxes that are quote unquote filled with tea, and you can like smell the tea. Um, cool. but it's, it's neat because they actually sat down and said, okay, this tent, we can't have people like touching and stuff because it would, you know, cause it damage, but like a, a, a cannon is fine. Yeah. It's fine. Mm. It's, it's, it, it's, mm. it's 200 years old. It's fine. Now it's going to be fine in another 200 years. It's a giant hunk mm -hmm. of metal. Um, <laughs> like you can touch this. Um, it was yeah. probably outside um, for a considerable period of time. Um, so I just, I like that aspect of it yeah so i i love you mentioning all these other people probably um we love kashuko or however you say his name i've given up on it here in philly big fan yeah and i always think it's really sad that he um 
in he he said that when he died he wanted his estate to go towards i think it was um literacy programs for enslaved people and also to work with abolition and stuff like yeah unfortunately he put thomas jefferson in charge right i'm like and uh there were three court cases that went up to the supreme court about his american will but it was never implemented Ugh. well on it <laughs> so back to major deacon sorry i deviated no, no. us way away um, from major deacon i my my honestly my plan was to kind of jump around a little bit because um otherwise this would be 20 minutes um <laughs> so and there's a lot of interesting people in the book um people i didn't want to go into so much here just because i'm like oh i kind of want to do an episode on them yeah so world war 1 unprecedented numbers of disabled veterans coming home um and so he he loses he loses this this election for the American Legion and goes into politics. 1928, he is elected chair of the Bronx Chamber of Commerce. But and, and this was one of those things where so many times during when I was writing these, I had to be like, what do they what does that even do? Um, <laughs> <laughs> that was basically most of his jobs. Um, so Chamber of Commerce is they support commerce. They're yeah. <laughs> it was. Uh, I mean, it wasn't. A, a, yes, they support um, commerce, and you know, today the National Chamber of Commerce is a big lobbying group. Sure. Back then, they had a lot more power, particularly in New York. I mean, New York was an interesting place during that era. It was extremely corrupt. I mean, as opposed yeah, to we're now, about to get there. there. <laughs> <laughs> um, but he was. Yeah, I don't really know what he did there. It's very difficult to find much information about him. He he is very light in the historical record. I, I've been trying to find his papers. They don't have anything at the um, the places you'd think they would have his papers. So there's only material about him, typically in relation to other people. Yeah. Um, but he what? So what we really know about him at as chair of the Bronx Chamber of Commerce is he threw a lot of parties. He loved to have fancy lunches and he continued that when he went to work for the city. Fancy lunches were his thing. Spent a lot of public money on it. He resigned very noisily from the Bronx Chamber of Commerce yes, when, his, <laughs> when his second BFF and the one for most of his life, who was uh, Mayor Jimmy Walker, um, got into a big fight with the um, the IRT, which was a subway system, because the, well, one of the subway companies, it hadn't yet been united into one public system. Uh, the subways were all privately owned. And the IRT had a contract with the city to uh, deliver services for a five cent fare. But the IRT decided they needed to raise their fare. And so they told the city, well, we're, you know, yeah, we have that contract, but we're going to raise our fare. And Jimmy Walker, that sort of man of the people said, absolutely not. You're, you're not going to raise the fare. And um, the Bronx Chamber of Commerce sort of waded in to say that if Walker didn't sue, the, didn't sue the IRT, they would sue him. And Deegan was like, I'm not suing my bestie. So he resigned. Though he, all the public talk was, oh, I wanted to spend more time with my family kind of well, thing. Well, yeah, of course. He, not literally, because he didn't have a wife anymore, and he never remarried. Yeah, and I the 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 five cent to seven cent thing. I tried to get a little more mm-hmm. information on it, and wished I had started sooner because it got really complicated really fast. 
Um, yes. Like there's a whole union side that I don't even I can't even wait. I can't even speak to at all because it was like a throwaway line on an article and I was like what <laughs> and I was like I need to call up Labor John there there are uh, podcast PFFs <laughs> um they probably know uh but yeah the inter interborough rapid transit um goes to raise fares and I I tried to figure out like what the equivalency would be today um as much as possible and this is such a good example of why you can't just do the math with the inflation rate um Right. Because if you do that, if you just do the math with the inflation rate, um, five cents had the buying power of uh, 86 cents today and seven cents would have been a dollar 20, which percentage wise, it's like that's pretty significant. Also, I spend two dollars to get on SEPTA today and I think it's was it two twenty five or something. No, they just raised it. It's now two ninety five. It wow. was two seventy five. So it's like a twenty five percent fare increase is a big deal, even now. Yeah, yeah. No, every time SEPTA tries to raise fares, everybody loses their minds. Um, understandably, yeah. me too. I am included in those people who lose their minds. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, although I'm really excited, we finally have entered the future. We have tap to pay on our buses. And stuff oh yay. Now. yeah. Um, when I moved into the city proper, we were still using tokens. So um, we have we we entered the 20th century a couple of years ago, and now we have <laughs> we've made our way into the 21st. <laughs> yeah. So he he th- this whole thing went up to the Supreme Court and everything, and the IRT uh, lost. The IRT did lose, but what was funny was they assumed they were going to win, so they made millions of seven cent tokens that were then they were sort of stuck with. And eventually they got melted down and used for something. But I thought that was really funny that they had, they've been so confident that they were going to be able to violate their contract that they had already invested all this money in new tokens. Oh yeah. And uh, I was very, I I almost went and looked to see if you could get, if I could buy one. I'm like, that's so cool. I want one. Um, I did not look into it. I don't think that any of them exist. Yeah. Besides that one picture, I guess, unless that's an old picture. That's the only picture I've actually been able to find of them. And it was super nice of the Historical Society to let me use it in the book. Yeah, it's really... My book has pictures, by the way, for all of you listeners. Yeah, and it's on very, very nice paper. Is it? Yeah, it's like very like... I didn't pick that, but I like it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, so supposedly he's he's leaving to uh, spend time with his family, but he doesn't do that for very long because he ends up the tenement house commissioner under Mayor Walker. He does. He really wanted to be police commissioner, but he uh, lost out on that job. I mean, he was much better qualified to be tenement commissioner. And actually, one of the interesting side notes is um, you mentioned earlier that during World War One, he served under General Gothels. Mm-hmm. So Gothels is the guy who finished the Panama Canal, mm-hmm. but Gothels also wanted to be police commissioner of New York and also got passed over and was offered a different job in New York. So it's sort of an interesting parallel. But so um, Deegan becomes tenement commissioner. Tenement commissioner is like the director of buildings would be now. But it's a really important role because New York has doubled in population in like two decades. Um, Actually, it's doubled in in this, I forget. Like it, between the Civil War and 1900, uh, New York's population doubled. And then by 1910, it had doubled again. And so people are flooding into the city. And uh, absentee landlords have figured out they can make a fortune 
by renting to all of these new immigrants, even though they're really, really poor, because they can just cram them in. And so they take, they convert buildings that had been single family homes or two family homes into tenements, which are buildings that are housing multiple families. And then they build buildings specifically to be tenements. And a lot of the laws that we have about housing safety come to us from disasters in tenements, rules about light and air and fire, ingress and egress. And that was Deegan's job to enforce those laws. And he did, um, even though Mayor Jimmy Walker was caught up in this massive corruption scandal, um, Deegan wasn't. And so a, a couple of funny things that he did as tenement commissioner, uh, we can talk about the real stuff too, but he declared war on pigeons. So apparently uh, pigeon coops were a very popular thing to have on roofs. And Deegan was convinced that they were a fire hazard which they probably were. He also was convinced that pigeons spread polio, which they don't. So he forbade pigeon coops and he got, he got lobbied by pigeon fanciers organizations. One guy uh, threatened to renounce his U.S. citizenship over this issue, but they, they pitched it to, to him. You know, he's Major Deegan. So they pitched it to him as this is about war readiness. Think about the importance of pigeons for communication during war. I mean, sure. <laughs> no, not really. I mean, it was at one point. <laughs> yes, but, but not, not anymore. Not by, not by the late 20s, early 30s. <laughs> yeah, no, not not by the at the post-World War One period. No. Uh, he also, another problem that he was struggling with was people abandoning pianos, right? We, nowadays, we think of pianos as sort of a luxury good that m wealthier people have. But in the era before radio, pianos were super common. And think about New York apartments up a couple flights of steps. They're tiny, narrow hallways. Once people had radio, pianos weren't nearly as important. And many, many people decided it wasn't worth the effort to move a piano when they moved. So they just abandoned them. So they would get pushed into the hall and pushed against the fire escapes. And this was another scourge that he was fighting. I mean, that's real. Yeah, like I uh, even today you go go to Facebook Marketplace, you're going to find many free pianos. Um, that is true. It's hard to get rid of a piano. It is hard. To <laughs> if yes. You, if you have if you have one. Um, did anyone like I imagine I wonder if there were any cases of just like dropping it down like the side of the uh, building. Worrell and Hardy did it, but I don't know if um... <laughs> did that come from somewhere. I wonder. <laughs> Yeah I, I, yeah, I don't know. But Deegan was, he actually did a pretty good job in this role. He did fight for basic fire safety enforcement. And, and again, he made a point of extending his office's protection and concern to Black New Yorkers, as well as white New Yorkers, which was not necessarily a given. I mean, then or now, quite frankly, but mm. he, um, you know, in after he died, the black press really eulogized him for his care and commitment to, to black New Yorkers. Hmm. And another parallel to today is he complained a lot in the press about landlords stockpiling apartments to create fake scarcity to drive up rents. Sounds um, familiar. Is... <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. I also liked um, 
the so this this tenement act i think that he was most mm-hmm. engaged with was the 1901 one i think i didn't find one that happened after that and i i've always found it super fascinating how this how this tenement act impacted the shape of the buildings in new york yeah um hmm. because they so a previous act i forget 1890s i don't know but previous tenement act said you have to have a window in every room and landlords were like okay and they put windows like going out into the hallway (laughs) or like right uh windows that were just like hanging out that went nowhere and the 1901 closed that loophole and said okay the the windows need to go to the outside and it needs to be a real outside like it can't be like an air shaft because that's what some people did is they built these air shafts which then got filled with garbage yeah he was it was and you know if you think about like it had to be a, a means of egress. That was the point was it was really, it was a lot of these buildings were wood and it was about fire safety. I and mean, it was also about light and air, but it was about how do you get out in an emergency? And then also the 1901 act required fire escapes. Yes. And lights in the hallways, which and lights in was the hallways. one of those things I just take for granted. Um, but I, I sort of, I, I, I think it's interesting now that with like TikTok and so forth, I, this is a part of TikTok I've landed in a few times is New York real estate for some reason. And people are always making fun of the windows to the brick wall of Manhattan and some other places. too. It doesn't promise you a view. It just promises you a way out. Right. And that's what I thought was this. I feel like this, this tenement act is sort of the, yeah. the creator of the window to the brick wall. Of, of New York because there's enough room for you to get out if you need to get out, but there's nothing yeah. to look at. So yeah, he was like actually, oh, and that's, I remember, so that's how we get these distinctive U-shaped buildings, the like dumbbell yeah. buildings, whatever, yes. which once you see hmm. that, when you go to Manhattan, you can't unsee it. You see it all over the place. Like it's, I just think it's really interesting. <laughs> that That is true. Oh, so having told you all these good things, I mean, at least good-ish things yeah. about Deegan, I also feel like I have to mention that he was on the committee to deport Reds for, um, which and was a big advocate of sending Ed, Emma Goldman to and others to Russia, um, and he was militantly anti-communist. You know, you win some, you lose some. And then, <laughs> yeah, and then he also was the head of the mayor's Co- committee on reception to distinguished guests, which was he was like the city's official greeter, and uh, he managed to rack up five thousand dollars plus in two years in the job, which. You know, doing the calculation, we like $85,000 today on cars and flowers and lunches. He really likes lunches. I mean, same. I'm not, I haven't spent that kind of money on a lunch, but <laughs> I would attend it. Not to mention gladly. that kind of public money on lunches. Uh-huh. Seriously. Uh-huh. Over two years. Um, was he in charge of the ticker tape parades? Was that him? He was not, but he participated in a few of them. He also accompanied the mayor on fact-finding tours to uh, to Europe, and he his girlfriend went with him. He never married again, but he did have a girlfriend. And and uh, Mayor Evelyn Walker Wagner. had a had a girlfriend too. Mayor Walker definitely had a girlfriend as well, uh, <laughs> but his his girlfriend did not come on these trips. His wife came on these trips. Although I saw she went, oh. didn't she go to Paris with him when he was kicked? So Mayor Walker got like in big trouble for was it building contracts? I think is what I saw. I I, bribes all kinds or of corruption. Something. The the New York State uh, Assembly investigated corruption in New York, and he was the the main target of it. And 
Um, it's called either the Seabury investigation or the Hofstetler investigation, depending on how you look at it. Seabury led the investigation, uh, Samuel Seabury. So I was, when I was working on this book, my kids were really into Hamilton and for a while they thought I was so cool. I'm like, not that Samuel Seabury. His your great, great, maybe great grandchild, but um, he was a, a lawyer and a judge and he led this inquiry into corruption in New York and Mayor Walker wound up resigning in uh, sort of after, he didn't lose in court, but he was clearly losing and um, he just quit and went to Paris with his girlfriend, who was in the Siegfried Follies, and then started a record company. Yeah. Huh. it's I just, I love these sort of weird, and I, I love that there was this, where, I don't remember where I read this, but there was this thing where they were, you know, Walker was claiming, oh, I'm so busy in Paris. I'm just spending <laughs> all my time in a hotel. I haven't seen Paris at all. And then there's pictures of him, like, carousing. Um, yeah, with Josephine Baker yeah. in her nightclub, and and Deegan, the loyal sidekick, was like, "Oh no, the mayor has been so busy on official business, he has had no time to explore the nightclubs." <laughs> Photography exists now, guys. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretty much, yeah. Um, but Deegan wasn't wasn't touched by the scandal because it seems like he was a pretty honest guy as far as his. I mean, he was spending a lot of public money on these lunches and stuff, but it wasn't like he wasn't taking bribes and stuff. Uh, no, well, he died with a very small estate, particularly for somebody in a position to make a lot of money by letting landlords off of their duties. Um, and he does. There doesn't. There were no allegations that he was directly involved in uh, corruption. And uh, though I did meet, um, actually, I didn't. Meet, one of my coworkers used to know his niece, oh. and. She's and, and my coworker told me this. I'm like, oh my god, I got to meet her because I wanted to talk to her. And uh, unfortunately, she has already passed, so mm. I couldn't meet her. But the coworker said that the niece always said, "Oh yeah, he was really sleazy." <laughs> but you know that also could be like you're looking at this old guy and he's telling you stories about back in the day. So who knows? Yeah, old New York politician. I mean, it's only so good they could be, right? <laughs> yeah, that is true. Yeah, there's like a certain level. Like I just. Like stories that my dad would tell about my grandfather uh, on Long Island, and he wasn't anybody important, but <laughs> just these wild stories about like the mob, like burning down businesses and stuff. It sounds like it, to survive in New York in that time, you had to be a little sleazy. So, but uh, he, I guess, this was a lot of work being the sleazy because he collapsed from <laughs> exhaustion. Um, I did think it was interesting how it was listed because you, you have the landlord job, the the tenement mm -hmm. job, which actually sounds really stressful and like really intense. And then he's like the official greeter for the city. And then it's like, and he had a nervous breakdown. And it sounds sort of like like the the tenement stuff, that's he's got that. That's fine. But this like right. having fancy lunches with distinguished guests. But the pressure of like hosting Italy's fascist foreign minister, that's <laughs> uh I was wondering when that would come yeah. in. Yeah. <laughs> it was that era. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And unfortunately, 1932, he died at the age of 49 due to complications from an appendectomy. Aww. Yeah, he died young. Major, um, Jimmy Walker was at his side when he died. Aww. And huh. um, so was apparently his son and his girlfriend, his longtime unofficial girlfriend, um, Evelyn Wagner, who was the niece of Senator Wagner. 
Uh, and she was also Walker's press secretary. So there's nothing that officially says that they were a couple, except that she was at his bed when he died. He left three people stuff in his will. She was one of them. She and his son led the procession into the church after his death. So it seems pretty clear that they were in a relationship. But I did appreciate in your last uh, episode with Lee Wind how careful he was to not yeah. make claims. So I do want to make it, that I am making an assumption there. Oh yeah, he he um, Lee Wind had, had it down to a science. Has it down to a science? He's <laughs> still here. Um, <laughs> um, yeah. So very much. So yeah. And then in 1937, so not that long after, um, Mayor LaGuardia signed an ordinance to rename the the road that connected the Triborough Bridge and the Grand Concourse in the Bronx after Major Deegan. And today it's I-87 and serves a 150,000 vehicles a day, according to your book. Um, wow. Which I have to say, I have absolutely no um, basis of like, I assume that's a lot. Like, I, I don't. Yeah, just like imagine cars bumper to bumper, <laughs> barely moving. Right. Yeah. Like, I, I assume it's a lot based on knowing New York traffic. Um, <laughs> you could tell me that it yeah. did 50,000. I'd be like, wow, that's a lot of cars. That sounds like a lot too. Yeah. <laughs> um, my big takeaway with this was how important municipal elections are because he had a lot of power and he did a lot of good things and a lot of maybe not as good things with that power. Um, it's on my mind because we just had election day. We had a, our uh, city yeah. council. You elections. have a new mayor. Congratulations. We have a new mayor. Uh, uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> no. Okay. I don't know Philadelphia politics. But... Could do worse. We could do worse. Do a lot better. Speaking as a New Yorker with a mayor that is a character to have a euphemism, um, who is just raided by the FBI. Yeah, no, I mean he's he's he. It's I'd like to think she's better than yeah than than. Um, my goodness, I cannot speak the name. <laughs> yeah, but I think Issa, Mr. Mr. Eric. Yeah, Issa and I, I think, have, have key philosophical differences um, between Sherelle Parker. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't, really don't yeah. know anything about her except that she won the election. She did. Yeah. She did. Oh, first woman, my, first woman my, mayor of Philadelphia. Yeah, yeah for what yeah. that's worth. Yeah. <laughs> but but our, uh, our city council is... Uh, our city council no, is, no is exciting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's wow. no Republicans Democrat. Now. So we yeah. have a law that you have to, and this is municipal politics. These are important things to understand. This is stuff that really Absolutely. impacts you on a day to day basis. Um, the we have a law that two seats in our city council have to be a different party than the majority, mm. but it does not mm. specify what that party is. And so there's okay. a third yes. party that's been working really hard uh, for years and years called the Working Families Party um oh yeah we have them in yeah no they're too. great i love them um yeah and uh they got both those seats wow so you're democrat and working family that's yeah, yeah. It's get, maybe get some stuff done maybe we'll see yeah. it's philly, however before, <laughs> that's true so i used to live in philly i was telling Issa before so yeah i have a little bit of a sense i definitely wonder um there i haven't actually seen this movie but i know there's a movie from I'm not even going to guess when it's like Mr. Smith goes to Washington or something like that. To Washington. Yeah. And it's Jimmy Stewart. Yeah. And it it, like, I get what I've been told again, I haven't seen it is it's about like 
you know, he get he's just like how a decent person goes down to goes into politics and things just get really complicated really fast. And I just yep. assume that that like the second you walk into City Hall, everything just like <laughs> goes to hell because everybody I've met in these elections and stuff who seems really cool they go in and they're not terrible but like it's just like right there's clearly stuff going on here that i don't know about and i don't understand like apparently going and having lots of big parties if you're major deacon <laughs> yes and going on fact-finding trips to europe yeah sure why not totally need to do that as a yeah. municipal person um <laughs> so vote in your local elections um, yes, please do. They impact you more day to day more than presidential elections do. Um, and but vote in those. Yeah, two. just keep do. Oh, yeah, please do. Every time you have the opportunity, vote. Yep, always vote. I got a letter in the mail um, a couple elections ago from, I think it was the Democratic Party, uh, telling me how I'm such a good voter, and I was like, oh, well, thank you, because <laughs> they can look up your congratulations. You can they can look up like your your voting record. I think that's public information, yes. actually. I yeah. think it's on the internet. No, it is. Um, and actually, I can look yeah. up, <laughs> I can look up, um, like how my ward went, like my individual ward went in, in the different elections. Mm -hmm. So I know we have one Republican in my ward. <laughs> and I think I finally found out who he was because I overheard someone at the polls being like, I'm not a Democrat. <laughs> so I was like, I bet that's him. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> found you. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, so this this book is one of those books that um it it's hard to do them well because it can be really easy to get mugged down like like bogged down in the sort of like unimportant things. And what I really liked about your book yeah. is is you were able to you know take f find those interesting tidbits and um, I like emailed you at one point because I was I was reading it before my shift over at Eastern State Penitentiary. Um, I was working at Halloween nights and I was so delighted because William Cullen Bryant like had uh, a gay aunt, was it? Or yeah. oh, a woman loving a woman um, who was in a lifelong relationship with another woman. And he was like actively chill with like he wasn't just like ignore it. It wasn't don't ask, don't tell. It was like. Right. This is an important relationship to her, and we I honor it in that way, basically. Um, mm -hmm. And I love the inclusion of those things because those things tend to be left by the wayside because, like, you know, in the grand scheme of things, how important is William Cullen Bryant's aunt? But it is kind of important. But it's, it's really important because we get told that, you know, the issues that we're grappling with are new mm -hmm. and that like questions about gender identity or sexual identity are new as opposed to part of being human and something that we have, since there have been human beings, we have had people who have sort of created their own gender identities. And we have had people who have had relationships with people of the same sex and opposite sex and both and neither. Mm. And all of those are legitimate ways of being human. And I think mm. opening up what counts as history is a way to recapture some of those stories to put today in a broader context that is really important for recognizing that we're all in this together as a community and that you know we need we need to sort of have space for everybody to be who they are 
Yeah, and yeah. I love having that in a book that is um, like one of these. Uh, I, I don't know if this is what they're actually called, but I call it, like think of them as survey books, like these books where it's like the history of West Philadelphia or what have you that tend not to go into those sorts of things. And you just assume it's not going to do that because that's not what usually happens. Um, and I also, the other one that, that floored me, um, I was born in Chicago. Uh, so mm. I am somewhat familiar with Casimir Pulaski. I'm probably saying his name wrong. I don't do Polish names very well. No, I think you got him right. Um, <laughs> I was born in Chicago. Like the schools would be closed. <laughs> in honor of him every yeah. year and stuff. They have a parade. And wow. I was floored by the your fun fact that um, he might have been intersex. It's almost definite. Yeah, like I looked it up and I was like, that seems pretty, uh, that seems pretty solid. Wow. Yeah, when I started writing the book, it was very maybe, but then they found, as I was writing the book, it took a couple years to write the book, they found one of um some but they found not a living person who was a descendant but they found somebody who was definitely a descendant who they had biological material for and they checked and so the pelvis and the skeleton that they had that they thought was pulaski was in fact pulaski and the pelvis is uh, a female configured pelvis so Whoa. you know that is what it is um, huh. whether he knew this or not we have no idea yeah but, um, you know, like none of this is new. We, this is not yeah. something that Gen Z created out of whole cloth. <laughs> nope. Like, um, nope. yeah. So, you know, talking about these survey books, I loved the way that, uh, sorry, I, I'm fangirling a little bit about Lee Wynn because oh, I was really great. loved yeah. that episode. <laughs> Everybody who's listening should listen to that. But he described his book as a tapas of history. Yeah. And I just, yeah. I, am, I am stealing that because that is perfect I for describing it. it. It's like little tidbits and you can learn more if you want. I mean, some of the people in the, in my book, there are many, many books written about. Um, I tried to pick people who were slightly more obscure because I thought they were more interesting. Like there's nothing about George Washington in my book because everybody knows who he is. Yeah. But you know, some of them, there's not very much written about, but a lot of them, if you're interested, if reading the chapter sparks your interest, there's a lot, there are a lot of books you can read about them. They probably won't include the details about their divorce and their sexual orientation. And well, um, like Gertrude Whitney yeah. was, um, it had a very passionate love affair as a young woman with Esther Hunt, who was the daughter of um, architect um, Robert Morris Hunt. And uh, her mother married her off very quickly uh, after that. Hmm. But hmm. that is not really part of most of the stories about her. And it really should be. Yeah, absolutely. Especially that's like, that's pretty, uh, that's a pretty key moment in someone's life. Yeah. And she wrote about it in her diary. And there, there are a few letters remaining. But uh, even after both of them married, they had this passionate love relationship until uh esther hunt unfortunately died very young from a hemorrhage and a mis from a miscarriage oh wow yeah yeah and that's what's just neat because i i admit that some that my initial when i look at books like that like these like tapas books or survey books usually i'm like okay cool yeah. whatever um but i 
uh, clearly need to rethink how much I'm engaging with them because I've now had two examples that were really excellent that I got to read. Um, by the way, I did send a picture of your book to Lee Wind because I was so excited about the Casimir Pulaski thing. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I took a picture. I, I did it. I was on a megabus actually going to New York for a meeting and I got really excited. So I took a picture of the page oh, cool. which is the worst way to do that and <laughs> sent it to him <laughs> and he was like what is this <laughs> i gave him a little more information <laughs> and i was like <laughs> oh my god <laughs> yeah well i i do just want to say like i think part of the reason that we are having so many social struggles about reconciling ourselves with the complexity of our past is that who got to decide what counted as history was a very narrow set of people. And yeah. I, I think that to the extent that we reclaim the richness and fullness of the history that we all actually made together, we're in a better place. And it is something I'm pretty passionate about. And I, you know, I don't think that like there's such a thing as queer history and straight history. There's just history. Not like there's, you know, black history or white history. The history of America is the history of black people in America, at least as much as, much as it's the history of white people in America yeah. and indigenous people in America and, and mm -hmm. you know, excluding Chinese people from America until the 1960s. Like we mm -hmm. need to tell that whole story. Yeah. And I think people, people are so hungry for it. Um, yeah. And I think it's, it's fascinating to see this kind of, we see this in art as well, sort of like a, a like a kind of ravenous hunger for now that it's starting to come out, it's incredibly popular because people have been waiting all this time for for these kinds of stories to be told. Um, so it's it's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So thank you so much for joining us. Yes, thank you. Thank you for writing this super fun book. So the book again was I'm gonna make sure I get this right. Naming Gotham, the villains, rogues, and heroes behind New York's place names. You can get it all the various places books are sold. If you want to buy it and you have a local bookstore, please go there. Yes. If they don't have it in stock, they can get it for you. And, you know, that's a win-win. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, you can always. I, used, I, I have done that many times and called up and said, I want this book. And they, they order it. Amazing. And do you have any, like, where can people find you? On the internet? Uh, yeah, I um, I have a website. It's my name, RebeccaBratsby's.com. Um, you can see you can see my scholarship there, too, if you want to read about uh, environmental justice and human rights. And oh, you also cool. can download the environmental justice comic books there free. Cool. Um, you can, they are free for any nonprofit or educational use. Um, I am R. Bratsby's on pretty much every social media channel that there is. I would love to talk to people who love history like I do. Well, thank you so much. And Issa's, yes, Issa's been you. on a on a comic book thing. So I've been on a comic oh. book kick, so that's very exciting. <laughs> well, check out the comic books. They've been sounds good. <laughs> uh, you know, they they're used in schools across the country, and um, it's you know it's so exciting when I go somewhere and I, I give a talk and and someone will come up to me and say, "Oh, I read that in my sociology class," or "Oh, uh, I read that in my you know environmental studies class," or in my English class, or in my whatever class. Um, that's the best. Yeah, it really is. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to D-Listers of History. If you enjoyed yourself, be sure to subscribe and drop us a review on whatever platform you listen on. Tell your friends, write it into a potato and ship it to a random neighbor. I don't know, whatever. Just tell the world how amazing you think we are. Uh, if you don't think we're amazing, that's okay. Just, you know, 
You can keep that to yourself. The Listers of History is a member of the World Podcast Network. Head over to nycpodcastnetwork.com and give this episode a like to help our rankings. A huge thank you to April Keys for the use of the song Misfit from her album Mountain View. You can find her on all the various social media platforms. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok at D-Listers of History, no hyphens. A big shout out to the folks supporting us on Patreon. If you want to support us and get access to all sorts of exclusive content, become a patron of this program. Also on Patreon, accessible to everyone, there is a new survey for all of our listeners to fill out that's just about what your sort of likes and dislikes are and how you like to interact with one another that sort of thing uh so please head over to our patreon and fill that out for us it'll make a big difference to us thank you so much all this and more can be found on our website delistersofhistory.com again no hyphens just smush it together our episodes release every other week our next episode will be coming out on december 11th I cannot believe we're already talking about December. Where did November go? Uh, and it's going to be a really cool episode. It is about Daniel of Beckles with Daniel Sibolsky, who is a host on the Medievalist podcast and is also the five-minute Medievalist on various social media platforms. It's a really fun interesting episode so i would love for you to join us thank you so much for hanging out with us please fill out that survey even if you're a first-time listener especially if you're a first-time listener we really want to get to know what you like uh and now for an episode relevant audio drop we have a three bed i call garden level it's not basement level it's garden level there's a difference you can escape from the rooms how about that escape from the room in a fire it's garden level okay we've got what windows two windows of exposed brick so you could just look out and pretend you have light but it's just brick we don't have light in the living room because you don't want that didn't you tell me you don't want light in your living room i am giving you what you asked for